Heading into the final week of the season, the Seahawks' playoff hopes very much remain alive, but the NFL might have complicated things a little bit with their scheduling choices. Rob Rang and I are going to dive into it in our Monday episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joining me for our latest Monday installment, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there as we are now in the new year, 2023, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Just as fans hope, the Seahawks still have a chance to make the postseason coming through in the clutch, beating the Jets yesterday 23-6 at Lumen Field. One of their more dominant efforts on both sides of the ball this year when they absolutely needed it, and that gives them a fighter's chance to get that final wildcard spot. But they're going to need some help, and the NFL may have complicated matters. Rob and I are going to dive into what happened with the scheduling and why that won't benefit the Seahawks heading into the final week of the season. Plus, we'll dish out our Monday music instant takeaways from yesterday's victory over the Jets. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks picked up a crucial victory in Week 17, keeping their slim playoff hopes alive, but it came at a major cost, losing one of their star players on defense for the remainder of the season. Jordan Brooks exiting in the second quarter. It was obvious watching on TV yesterday that this was a severe injury. As soon as it happened, it was the non-contact variety. You could see the knee buckle for Jordan Brooks. And as soon as he hit the ground, grabbed his right knee, writhing in pain. He's carted off the field, quickly ruled out for the rest of the game. It looked like an ACL injury. And Rob, unfortunately, that's exactly what it is. MRI is confirming a torn ACL for the third-year linebacker, Seattle's leading tackler. And they will not have him for the season finale. If they make the playoffs, he won't be available either. And maybe most notably, his status for 2023, obviously, is way up in the air right now with the timing of this injury being so late in the season. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to quickly kind of just echo what you had said before, Corbin, about the, the fact that it was a pretty dominant showing by Seattle. It's exactly what the Seahawks need to show if they are going to be able to build up any type of momentum should they get the opportunity to play in the postseason. But at the same time, when you lose a player the caliber of Jordan Brooks, then that definitely does kind of put a pall over that victory. Um, it, it was a significant injury. It was as, as obvious as it gets. Um, it is going to be a season ender. Obviously, if the, the season ended next week, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. But it does. This is an injury of significance. The, the surgery expected is going to be uh, likely to go into next season. And, and so when you are talking about a player who's just 25 years old, who is going to be entering the fourth year of his four-year rookie contract. The Seahawks are going to have the option to extend him uh, or, or have that fifth-year option, excuse me. Um, but again, you don't know what version of Jordan Brooks you're going to get. I think that regardless of how Seattle's season ends, there's going to be some talk about whether or not they should stay with the 4-3 or the 3-4. Um, you know, and, and what kind of adjustments do you need to, uh, you know, add some talent at linebacker? Jordan Brooks 
was expected to be one of the real foundational building block pieces of this team. And to lose him to an injury this late in the year, not only does it impact the Seahawks right now, but it obviously impacts them moving forward. So it was a huge turn of events. Yeah, we got to see Tanner Muse come into the game for him. Second time in three weeks that Muse finished a game for Brooks. He had a neck issue that forced him out against the 49ers a couple weeks ago. And Muse played pretty well in that game. And I thought he played great again yesterday against the Jets with a pass breakup, a couple of tackles. And he's looked very comfortable at the linebacker spot when he's had opportunities. Now, the issue is coming in as a reserve second half of games when you're somebody that doesn't have a lot of film out there for opponents – you know, it's a little bit easier to come into a game and be able to have success. But now that there's film out there, teams will be able to attack him a little bit more as a full-time starter. That's a much different game. So, you know, Sean McVay is going to be looking into that going into the final game of the season. And John Radigan, Pete Carroll mentioned him this morning on his weekly radio show on Seattle sports. Radigan's a player that you and I have both been clamoring for him to get an opportunity, maybe to get some snaps on defense at the end of the season. Well, now he very well may get that chance. They may do a by committee approach at that second linebacker position with John Radigan and Tanner Muse next to Cody Barton, who's now going to slide into the mic spot. And this is a great opportunity for Cody Barton right now because he's heading into free agency. And if the Seahawks weren't sure if they wanted to re-sign him, Right now, their logic may change 180 degrees because if you don't have Jordan Brooks for the first half of the season, which I mean, think about it, John Radigan tore his ACL around the same time last year. It's actually a little earlier in the season than Jordan Brooks. He missed half of this season. And so if you don't have Jordan Brooks out there till week nine, week 10, you're going to need stability at that middle linebacker position. And it potentially changes your draft situation too with five picks in the first three rounds. They might not have went with an inside linebacker in those first three rounds without Jordan Brooks getting hurt. But now with him potentially missing a large chunk of next year, that totally changes the draft strategy. And there is some really good linebacking talent in this year's draft class, too. There is some good linebacker talent. Uh, I I worry that, uh, that that Seattle might have to or might be forced into taking exactly that that strategy now, uh, as you just mentioned, Corbin, uh, or looking at the free agent class because yeah. I do think that linebacker is going to be a position that they they really have to look closely at. And that again, that was before the injury to to Brooks. Um, I'm happy that you you mentioned uh, Muse as well as Radigan. Um, you know, Muse, um, you know, is a former safety at, at Clemson. And he, uh, Pete said it during his press conference today. I mean, he's been really impressed by Tanner Muse and his ability to tackle. And I have as well. At the same time, so many of those tackles are being tackled while Tanner Muse is falling backwards. He's giving up two, sometimes three yards more than when he initially uh, creates contact with the ball carrier. And, and that's just the difference between a guy who is 245 pounds and who knocks down people for a living and Jordan Brooks, an absolute star, Bobby Wagner, previous to him, true inside linebacker body frames, and a guy who in Tanner Muse just is a, a longer, leaner, more athletic guy, uh, as crazy as that might sound, um, considering just how athletic Brooks and, and Wagner are, but at the same time, it's not the built the same way. He just doesn't have that sand in his pants really to kind of be that thumper. Radigan is that. And as you said, Corbin, we've both been really excited about what we've seen from Radigan um, since his recovery from that same ACL surgery. So um, I'm excited about Radigan. I'm excited about the Seahawks opportunities that they have here at linebacker position. Um, but that's not the only one. If the offensive line, 
um, with Phil Haynes in the, in the high ankle sprain. There's a possibility that he uh, isn't going to be available for this game or perhaps a postseason run either. And that's pretty significant because, again, talking about a young player that you're trying to build around. Um, obviously, you have Gabe Jackson, the veteran there to play. But at the same time, that's a pretty significant injury as well. Yeah, especially considering that he and Jackson have been rotating really for a large chunk of this season to keep Gabe Jackson fresh. He hasn't had that workload of playing a full game, and now the Seahawks are going to be asking him to do it. You can look at it from one perspective that he should be fresh because he's had a lot less snaps. He should be able to handle that at the same time. He might not be ready for that, especially with the knee issues that he's had. So maybe Jake Curhan gets some snaps. Maybe they continue to do some rotating at that position in the season finale, even with the playoffs up for grabs. But if you're looking for some good injury news, Tyler Lockett, it looks like the leg injury that he suffered yesterday that forced him out for a large chunk of the game. He's going to be okay. Doesn't sound like it's anything significant, just a minor contusion. Sounds like he's got a good chance to play this week and his hands in good shape. And Ryan Neal, as well as Abraham Lucas, both look to be trending in the right direction to get back this week for the season finale as well for the Seahawks. So there is some positive injury news. We'll see how those progress as the week goes on, and maybe one or two of those players won't be available, but at least there's some positive news to offset what is a massive injury. If you think Jordan Brooks hasn't quite lived up to the hype going into this season because there haven't been as many impact plays, maybe the guy is a leaders on the field. He's the play caller. That is a monumental loss the Seahawks are going to have to overcome here to beat the Rams, get in the playoffs. And if they want to win a playoff game, you're going to have to do it, unfortunately, without number 56, a major blow despite getting a huge win over the Jets yesterday. Coming up next, with that victory, the Seahawks still are in position to get a playoff spot. But unfortunately, they are going to need a little bit of help. We're going to dive into the playoff scenarios going into Week 18 and how the NFL may have put the Seahawks at a little bit of a disadvantage with their final scheduling decisions. We'll get to all of that and more coming up next here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm really geeked out about our new partner and sponsor for today's episode, the mobile game Alderman Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM like John Schneider and managing your football franchise, your dream can now come true. And this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your franchise to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of the season. And all this comes in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. I'm currently managing the Honolulu Sharks. My first year has been pretty difficult because I'm trying to get a youth movement going and the youth is showing on the field. I'm hoping to quickly rise back into contention and beat all the other locked on hosts in our virtual league. It's a blast and our listeners should join in the fun in their own league. You can do so with a 100% free boost to your franchise when you use the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store. Again, that's Locked On all caps. So make sure to check that out today. You can download the game by visiting ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app stores. Again, that's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. You're listening to Monday Musings here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you are a regular listener or a first-time listener. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen. 
five days a week. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, you can listen to it on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, the Seahawks picking up a crucial win yesterday, finally snapping a three-game losing streak, and at 8-8, eight and eight, they are still in the hunt for that final wildcard spot in the NFC. Unfortunately, not every game went the way that they hoped yesterday to make it that they could control their own destiny, and they are going to go into the final week of the season needing a little bit of help from the Detroit Lions of all teams. The Lions have been red hot have won, I believe, five of their last six games. They have been beating everybody except for the letdown against the Panthers a few weeks ago, and they just had a big win yesterday. So they get the opportunity, Detroit does, to go to Lambeau Field, and if they beat the Packers and the Seahawks lose, the Lions are the final team that make the playoff field. But the Seahawks are going to be hoping that they get the win and then the Lions beat the Packers. And what makes this all interesting now is the games will no longer be at the same time. And that might be a major disadvantage for the Seahawks going into this final week. Uh, you know, I don't know that it is. I, I think that it, it can be if you allow yourself to think like that. If you allow yourself to get caught up in the idea that, hey, this is just going to be the, the finale to the regular season and it is what it is, uh, you know, then then sure. But you don't get to this level of competition by having a normal person's mentality, Corbin, and as you well know. Uh, I think that the Seahawks are going to be ready to play. I think the Detroit Lions are going to be ready to play. And I know the Green Bay Packers are. They've been playing really good football here as of late themselves. I, I really think that these are three playoff caliber teams that are going to be going at. And I think that's exactly what the NFL wants. I think it's un very understandable why the NFL has decided to, you know, move this game, flex this game between the Packers and the Lions uh, to Sunday night football and, and allow the Seahawks just to kind of play their own game. Um, but again, I think that Pete Carroll is going to take it is, is going to be, have his players certainly ready to play against the Rams. And again, I think that uh, it's predictable what the NFL did. I think it basically gives Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions, uh, head coach Dan Campbell, um, an opportunity to compete at the, at the highest uh, level. I mean, even if they had already been eliminated from playoff contention, the Seahawks win, which obviously Seahawks fans are hoping for, but Detroit Lion fans are hoping for that. Um, but still, I feel confident that Dan Campbell would have his team ready to go with that kind of mentality of like, all right, we cannot go to the real playoffs. This is our playoff game against a divisional opponent on national television. Dan Campbell is one of the most kind of inspirational and kind of uh, motivational and competitive people I've ever seen in, in person. And just the way he coaches had a chance to watch him at the senior bowl, Deuce Staley, one of his assistant coaches yep. as well, Aaron Glenn as well. I mean, there are a lot of former players on that coaching staff. And I, so I feel really confident that the, 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 the lions are going to, I think come out and play pretty hard. It's just can the Seahawks uh, fulfill their end of the bargain by beating the Rams in the first place. Yeah, that's the that's the first big thing here is I guess you can look at it from a positive standpoint. The Seahawks have to take care of their business first and then they can worry about scoreboard watching. They're not going to be looking up to see what's going on in the Green Bay Detroit game while they're trying to play their own game. I think it eliminates a little bit of a distraction at the same time. 
I can understand why fans are upset about this because this screams anything but competitive balance. Because if you're going to allow these two teams to play at night and the Seahawks have already won that game, I know that Dan Campbell, Mr. Biting Kneecaps, is going to have his team ready to play. Uh, but if you find out that you can't make the playoffs, there is always that natural letdown that seems to happen. The only thing that might prevent that is just the fact that Dan Campbell, and I think he would preach this immediately, we can knock the Green Bay Packers, a bitter rival, we can knock them out of the postseason in our Super Bowl here at their own building. And how fun would it be to send Aaron Rodgers home and he doesn't get to play in the playoffs? So I don't think that it would necessarily mean there isn't going to be a motivation to win the game. But if the Lions can't make the postseason, that might be one of those things where there is a natural letdown no matter what Dan Campbell does. So I can see the competitive disadvantage. But at the same time, at the end of the day, as you and I have just hit it on, Seahawks have to win this football game against the Rams, and I don't think that's going to be easy to get done. I mean, they struggled with the Rams several weeks back when John Wolford was playing quarterback, and now they got Baker Mayfield, a significantly more talented player under center. They still have a number of key players that are out that aren't going to be coming back for this game with 11 losses on the season, and so that helps them. But you know the Rams. You know Bobby Wagner is going to want to come back to Seattle and get a win in his former stomping grounds. His teammates want to do that for him. So this is a divisional rivalry game. It is not going to be easy for the Seahawks to get it done. They need to take care of their business and then hope that the Lions can get this win. And the Lions get in the year at 9-8. and eight. It would be a monumental step for them, even if they can't make the playoffs. And so – I think in this instance that it might not be as big of a deal as what people are letting on. And I will say this too, Rob, for those out there that think that this shows the NFL is rigged. No, the NFL just likes money and Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. That is one of the signature franchise in the NFL, a chance for them to get into the playoffs, winning a bunch of games in a row when they were counted down and out two and a half months ago. Absolutely. Sign me up. Let's get this game in prime time. It makes a ton of sense from that perspective. I don't like the competitive balance aspect, but again, money is the bottom line. This is not about rigging games. This is, you know, we got two opponents here, Green Bay and Detroit, that can't stand each other. Divisional game, Aaron Rodgers playoffs. It's money. And so the NFL is going to always pick that first and foremost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the reality is, is that the common everyday NFL fan outside of Seattle would nine times out of 10 probably picked to watch a game between Aaron Rodgers and Jared Goff of the, of the Green Bay Packers, the famed Green Bay Packers, the Detroit Lions, when, you know, again, you're talking about two of the hotter teams in the league right now and certainly the most storied team in the Packers over the Rams, you know, and, and the Seahawks. Two teams that, you know, obviously Seattle is fighting for a playoff chances here, but they, they've been a, a surprise. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people nationally haven't really paid that much attention to the Seahawks other than Tariq Woolen and probably Juno Smith, maybe a little bit of DK Metcalf, Kent Walker out there as well. But really, Seattle is just not as as exciting of a team, I think, from a national perspective. And, and so this was was to be expected. Um, you know, to me, what's going to be the most fascinating thing is that Seattle has to kind of be watching the, the scoreboard for a different reason, of course, is that if they are able to win, if they do get to the playoffs, then who are they going to be matching up against? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's going to be one of the, the, the you know kind of frightening things we have to talk about here because it does look like the most likely scenario is that Seattle would be matching up against the San Francisco 49ers. And we don't have to talk too much 
and remember too far ago, too long ago, about what the 49ers were able to do to Seattle twice so far this season. Then there is a scenario, of course, in which that Seattle is going to be facing the number three seed, and that being the Minnesota Vikings. So if Minnesota wins and San Francisco loses this weekend, of course, Seattle has to win as well. Um, if all three of those things, then Seattle could be going back to Minneapolis to face the Vikings. And that's an exciting team, but it's also a team that I think has some holes. So sign me up for that option if that is what that if Seattle is fortunate to get themselves into the playoffs in any way. Yeah, it's one of those cases where, you know, if we were to talk about this a few weeks ago, don't get too far ahead of yourselves. But I mean, the playoffs are two weeks away. And so you look at those opponents. The San Francisco 49ers have physically dominated the Seahawks twice already this year. Now, I will say this. It is really hard to beat the same team three times in one season. And Seattle, I think, actually played a little bit better, even though the scoreboard doesn't indicate it. They missed some real opportunities down in Santa Clara in week two. And this team is light years ahead on offense compared to what they were in that game. And so there'd be some intrigue with rivals playing for a third time, but the Vikings would be the opponent of those two. They have shown their flaws, getting blown out by the Dallas Cowboys, getting blown out by the Packers yesterday. They've won a ton of one-score games that easily could have gone against them. They're 28th in DVOA, according to Football Outsiders, and they're 12-4 and despite that. So there are some clear deficiencies with that football team. And playing in Minnesota in a dome is much better than playing outside like the Seahawks had to do many years ago in that playoff game, Ice Bowl 2.0. So, you know, we'll have more chances to look at that, obviously, when we get there. But the Seahawks, they have to take care of their business. And who knows which opponent they would prefer to play. But they are very familiar with the 49ers. The Vikings have plenty of wrinkles that they're dealing with right now that teams have been able to figure out and they've been stumbling a little bit as of late as well but a lot of intrigue this week the Seahawks they got to get the win over the Rams and they need the Lions to beat the Packers that's all that needs to be the focus right now and then if they do get in then you can worry about the opponent that you've got scheduled on the road in the wild card round coming up next it's time to dish out our Monday musings here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast our instant takeaways coming out of yesterday's win over the New York Jets. What impressed us on offense, defense, and special teams? And what were some areas that maybe were still concerning coming out of this big win over Gang Green? We'll break those all down coming up next on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. First couple days, it has been an epic failure for me. But if you're like me and you want to eat healthier and don't want to compromise taste, this is the thing for you. you got to try Built Bars. Built Bars are healthy, and they actually taste good. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. It's perfect for your New Year's resolution. And what makes Built Bars so good is that they're covered in 100% real chocolate, amazing flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. For years, you had to just order on their website. But now you can get Built Bars at Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box with cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, such as brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Argentina, Mexico, or nearby in Renton. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. All right, Rob, it's time to get to our Monday musings, our quick takeaways coming out of the previous game. And it feels like it's been a long time since we've had a victory Monday edition of Monday musings. The Seahawks finally snap a three-game losing streak with a 23-6 win over the New York Jets. And I think in some ways, Rob, you can look at this as the most complete game that the Seahawks have played this entire season, holding the Jets to just six points getting off to a red-hot start with 17 points in their first three possessions against a team that was barely giving up 18 points per game this season. It was a really impressive start, the fast start that has eluded this football team really throughout the time getting five losses in six games. They were having issues getting off to quick starts on the offensive side of the football, giving up a lot of on deep. So uh, encouraging victory given the circumstances. It, it was. It was a very impressive victory. I agree with you. I think that it was Seattle's most complete victory of the season so far. And Walker just explodes out of the gate with, with a big, long run. Um, but it wasn't just the run. It was, um, you know, it, it was how crisp that Geno Smith was. And I, I had some concerns about this game. Um, just from that revenge factor kind of, a, of an element here. Um, I thought that Geno Smith did a really, really nice job of being safe, but also being aggressive. Um, you know, I was curious to see if, if Seattle would try to go after Sauce Gardner and, and, and try to get a touchdown on him, try to, you know, kind of pad the, the chances of their own player, Tariq Woolen, win defensive rookie of the year, just because the fact that they were able to use DK Metcalf to kind of bully Sauce Gardner. Well, you know, hey, I, I learned basically, and the Seahawks learned basically what the rest of the NFL has learned, is that Sauce Gardner's darn good. And, uh, and, and so he did a terrific job. But still, Geno Smith tried to give DK Metcalf and, and others opportunities against Gardner. But other than that, you know, in terms of just winning the football game, I thought that Seattle won just about basically every other matchup and obviously won where it matters the most on the scoreboard. And, and so to me, this was a very encouraging game. If you can match this, do the exact same thing against a admittedly depleted Los Angeles Rams team, but still the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams to cap your season, then whether you get an opportunity to compete for the playoffs or not, if the Seahawks end this season 9-8 with a winning record, then I think that Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Geno Smith, uh, I think that they deserve an awful lot of credit because I I certainly was not thinking that this is a team that would be competing for a playoff spot until the very last second, literally, and would be having a winning record when it's all said and done, and yet here we are. Yeah, I think you look at this game, there's a couple things that were very encouraging that feel like they can last into the season finale, and if the Seahawks have to travel on the road in the playoffs, that they can carry with them, and that is a run game that suddenly has found life again. We had been talking about this for a month and a half. The Seahawks couldn't run the ball. Their run blocking was breaking down, but second half against Kansas City, they were able to start getting some things going, and you and I were both skeptical about them being able to run the football on this Jets front seven, and yet they come out, they get that 60-yard run from Ken Walker the third in the first play from scrimmage. He has 95 rushing yards in the first half, finishes with over 130 rushing yards in the game, and the Seahawks also got good contributions from DJ Dallas. I talked about it yesterday. I gave him one of the game balls 
even though he only had two returns for eight yards on special teams, I gave him the special teams game ball because this kid week in, week out, they really missed him the couple games he was out just because he's one of those glue guys that can do so many different things for your football team as a contributor, whether it's making tackles on special teams, returning punts. And yesterday he showed off his offensive skills, 41 rushing yards, hard earned rushing yards where he was bowling through defenders and it really was that thunder lightning package that the Seahawks have been lacking. I'd like to see more of him in this week 18 game where the two of those running backs are mixed in because his between the tackle running, he was running hard in the Jets. They were having a hard time getting to the ground. Oh, by the way, he also led the team with 55 receiving yards, including a 41-yard catch on a shovel pass from Geno Smith. That was one of the major highlight plays of the game. And so you really like where the run blocking is at. The line is doing better the last game and a half. The running backs are taking advantage. They're getting downhill more, especially Ken Walker the third. And so that is something that is a encouraging development here for the Seahawks going into their second matchup with the Rams with the playoffs on the line. And you mentioned the struggles that DK Metcalf had. You know, let's talk about the secondary targets. DJ Dallas with the 55 receiving yards, but Laquan Treadwell, two key third down conversions that he picked up in the fourth quarter that led to field goals for Jason Myers. The tight ends, Colby Parkinson, a career high five catches, had a touchdown, the first touchdown of the game. Tyler Mabry, what a time to have your first NFL catch go for six on a touchdown and have a great celebration in the end zone. Teammates swarming him on the sideline. The tight end group played for Will Disley, and they flexed their muscles in this game, especially Tyler Mabry, who's been in the practice squad all year. It shows you the type of depth that they have because Jacob Hollister is on the practice squad. I mean, they've still got a pretty good tight end group, even if they're going to miss Will Disley's blocking. The group proved yesterday they can still be really good. So credit to Geno Smith and Shane Waldron. I felt like they didn't use their tight ends enough in their three-game losing streak. This game, they attacked the Jets in an area where they have had issues, and that is the tight end. They were a big part of their passing game and really keyed this victory. Absolutely critical part of the victory. Corbin, in my mind, I had budgeted like a five-minute rant of how I was going to just uh, you know, extol the virtues of, of the way that Seattle's tight ends played against the Jets. But you just basically stole the words right out of my mouth. Um, I will just mention all of I, I agree with everything that you just said. I would add one more detail to that big run that we saw that started the game with Ken Walker III. It was Noah Fant and Kobe Parkinson who yep. were delivering key blocks to spring that right off the top. And then, yes, I, I love the, the the tight ends getting involved in the red zone. I, I just think that that was a, uh, something that Seattle should try to exploit moving forward. Again, it's been one of the things that's been very unique about this team. There's another thing that I was happy on the defensive side of the ball that also had me very optimistic, and that was suddenly, finally, we're seeing the emergence of Daryl Taylor. He just looks like a different guy. He just is coming off the ball with a little bit more – just feels like confidence, honestly. I mean, it, it, there were times where I've watched him and I just thought that he was just like trying things for the first time out there, it felt like. I mean, he was just maybe trying to do too many things at once instead of taking advantage of what has always been his best asset and that is just his initial get off and then his ability to flatten out and get around. I mean, he can corner really, really well. And so because of that, he should be able to create pressure. And finally, that was happening here. I mean, he basically ended the game. He ended the half um, with the sack and a forced fumble. He ended the game um, as well with the sack. I mean, he was just – he has that ability to take over games, so it's good to see that uh, – 
finally showing up a little bit here for the Seahawks. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that maybe he was trying to do too much because, you know, we talked all offseason, develop some more counter moves, become more refined with your pass rushing game plan. You know what, though? Sometimes you just got to play damn football and just yeah. use your athletic ability. And I don't know what it was yesterday. And, and really, we've seen it the last couple of weeks. There have been more and more flashes from Daryl Taylor. And he's been emerging here in the second half of the season, even with the defense struggling. We've seen more of those plays we expected from him. It's almost like he's been drinking rocket fuel the last three or four games, the way that he's been rocketing off the edge. The second sack that he had yesterday, George Fan, we know the type of athlete that he is at right tackle, college basketball background. The guy, I went back and watched the play. I mean, he got a decent jump with his pass set, and it did not matter because Daryl Taylor – just launched himself off the line of scrimmage and he was already past him and fan you could yep. see by his body language like wait why is he there and he yeah. wasn't off sides he got a perfect jump and just the explosiveness we did not see that early in the season i think he was pressing i think he was trying too hard to try to mix in different types of pass rushing plans and that's fine you want to develop that stuff but you got to take advantage when you've got an elite trait. You got to work with that, and his elite trait is that quickness and that burst off the edge. And we're seeing him get up to the quarterback. Two and a half sacks yesterday, and we talked about this some in earlier seasons when Carlos Dunlap was here and the impact that he had on the interior pass rushing. You saw that in practice again yesterday because of the damage that Daryl Taylor was doing. I thought Uchenna Nwosu had a couple of decent rushes on the other side, but. Daryl Taylor made life so much easier for Quentin Jefferson and Puna Ford, who had nine combined pressures, according to my tally, out of this game. They were unblockable at times because the Jets were trying so hard to stop the edge rush. It was opening up rushing lanes for the interior guys, and Mike White didn't stand a chance with those three guys consistently in his lap in the backfield. No, exactly. And when, once you're able to create a pass rush, then you're able to create turnovers. And to me, that really was a, a huge turning point in this game as well. We, we talked about this before, that the, the Seahawks are a flawed defense right now. They're, they're basically able to give up running yards to just about everybody. And we saw a little bit evidence of that in this game as well. But the the interception by Quandrick Diggs right out in the front, I mean, grabbing the ball and holding it up by as if he I loved it. I don't care what <laughs> Pete Carroll says. I loved it. That, that surprised me. I, I got to say that. Um, and it was a huge play, though, just because obviously that was, you know, the Seahawks had marched right down the field and scored. Um, the Jets were marching right back down the field as well. They were very impressive in their first drive. And so for Quandre Diggs to basically snuff out that uh, very promising possession for the Jets, I thought that it really set a tone. Um, and then Mike Jackson doing basically the same thing, uh, you know, obviously later in the game. But it was the very first play of a drive after Seattle had scored. And the Jets were basically in a position where they had to figure out this is a two-score game at that point and the Jets it was the fourth quarter it was time for the Jets to make some type of a run and so I just love there was an athletic play by Jackson as well on that particular interception he's really read it and reacted and made the interception so to me those were really highlights in this game as well yeah and I think and I mentioned it earlier you got to look at the way the linebackers played in this game and you you know, kind of piggybacking a little bit. I talked to some on their postcast, going back and watching the All-22. The run defense after the first two drives yesterday was fantastic. The run fits were as good as I have seen them all year. The Jets were making a concerted effort to try to run the ball. But after those first couple drives, it wasn't happening. And they were doing what I thought they needed to do in this game. Force Mike White to beat you. And if the pass rush comes to life, 
he's not going to be able to do that. And that's exactly how it ended up playing out. But they gave up negative one rushing yards in the second half to the Jets. The Seattle Seahawks, the 2022 Seattle Seahawks, gave up negative rushing yardage in the second half, 19 rushing yards in the final three quarters. And I think the linebackers were a big part of that. And and by the way, Jordan Brooks didn't play in the second half. He got hurt Mm -hmm. in the second quarter. But Tanner Muse, Cody Barton had a hell of a game yesterday. He made two plays on screens where he blew guys up. He was at the line of scrimmage on a couple of tackles. He was flying all over the place. He was getting off blocks. So I thought all three levels of the defense this was as complete of an effort as we've seen from them all season long. you got to consider the opponent, Mike White. He was not that savior riding in on a white stallion. It didn't work out that way for the Jets, but they've still got a lot of talent, the receiver position. They've got a couple of decent tight ends. They've got a couple of decent running backs. I thought the Jets would have more success on offense than what they did. And the Seahawks really, after those first two drives, they really toyed with the Jets offensively. The Jets didn't score any points in the second half. And Mike White, you could tell how flustered that he was. This was a dominant outing. Can you carry it over against the Rams, who are going to have a better quarterback in Baker Mayfield? And they've still got a few weapons at his disposal. Can you carry that over, stop their run game, and make the Rams one-dimensional? That's going to be the real question. This is something that's got enough staying power to get yourselves in a position to make the postseason and hope the Lions can take care of business. But overall, aside from the offense kind of sputtering in the second half, still having some third down issues, that's one thing still concerning me coming out of this game. They still can't seem to move the chains on a consistent basis on third down. But you take that away, I thought the quarterback play was a lot better. The running game looked good. Pass protection was hit and miss, but they were better in the second half. The defense was lights out. There's a lot of reasons to be positive coming out of this game against a team that the Jets had beaten some really good teams earlier in the season, even with their quarterback situation. And to put up 17 points early, that was an impressive impressive victory for the Seahawks at home. No, it really was. Um, and again, I mean, I think that if you look at the – the personnel on the Jets roster on the offensive side of the ball right now who's healthy, it's not the most impressive collection of talent. But um, I think that Robert Sala has done a terrific job with that team. And as you said, I mean, they've played and beaten some very good teams. Um, and, and so I think that, that Seattle just punched them in the mouth and they weren't quite expecting it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Sala, of course, being a former assistant coach for the Seahawks, I think that it, you know, we talked about this in the pregame. I think this was a little bit personal in a lot of different ways. Um, again, as a former assistant coach under Carroll, Carroll coaching against the Jets, Geno Smith going against the Jets. I mean, both of them, of course, previously with that franchise. So I, I think that it was just a, I don't know, I don't want to sound all silly around the holidays and all that, but it, it, it felt like a, a kind of a game that brought the team together a little bit. That's what made the, the loss of Jordan Brooks that much more heartbreaking. But hopefully it's the type of game that Seattle is going to be able to con, uh, to bring into the new year. And oh, by the way, happy new year to all of our listeners and to you and your wife, Corbin, as well. Thank you, Rob. Greatly appreciated. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, streaming five days a week on YouTube, a bunch of other platforms as well. Make sure to subscribe for free. Coming up tomorrow, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll dish out some hot takes coming into the season finale for the Seahawks. They're hoping to make the playoffs, and we'll take a look at the Rams. A lot lot has really changed for the Rams, including the quarterback position, even though it's only been a few weeks since the two teams met in Los Angeles. So we got a jam-packed episode coming your way. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks!